0: Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. If you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the New Testament, Uh, The book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, is our text this morning. invite you to turn there. While you're finding it, uh, just let you know, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Not an accident that you're here. God has ordained in your life and my life and all of us to be here together to hear what He's saying to us today. Uh, My name's Dan, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to serve you, to share God's Word together. You're joining us online, it's great to have you be here as well. Uh, here's something I wanted to just mention uh, and, and then we're going to move on from it, but the Hawaii Fire Relief. Uh, this last week we sent a check for uh, a little over $3,500 to help uh, missionary churches in Hawaii. I talked to uh, Reverend Cal Chinon, who is uh, the regional director for the churches there, was on a Zoom meeting with him uh, in the last several days, And they have favor, God has given them favor to get into areas that are blocked up. In fact, there's areas that have been affected, that have been burnt, where they kicked FEMA out. They said, we don't, thanks, but no thanks. And, And the only people that are letting into some of these areas are people that they know and trust. And because of relationships and integrity over the past years, Um, calchin and his team of other pastors missionary churches have been able to go in and minister in those areas Uh, we are helping them to buy some air purifiers and some different things that they need some tools to help with that cleanup and uh, just out of the generous heart um, you guys sent a little over $3,500 i think that's worthy of celebrating would you uh, celebrate that with me thank you so much for joining with us in that Last week, we started a new series entitled Keeping Score, and we looked at keeping score in our relationship with God. What is it that we think God owes us? Often when we tally the score, there's times when people are disappointed with God because they think that God somehow owes them something. We discovered that God owes us nothing and that we, He's given us everything, and we owe everything to Him. This week, we're looking at uh, the keeping score of offenses, what we think others owe us. Next week, we're going to think about finances, um, what, what do we think the world owes us? We're going to talk about the, the, the keeping score with service and uh, ministry, what, what does the church owe us? And then the final week, we're going to talk about keeping score of guilt, what we think we owe ourselves. So I encourage you over these next few weeks just to continue to uh, to, to pile in and to work through the scriptures that, that we're um, looking at and that, and that are guiding us in, in these days. Today we're looking at another one of Jesus' parables as recorded uh, by the gospel author Matthew in chapter 18. In this chapter uh, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is dealing with principles and attitudes that should mark His people as they they get along with with one another, as they do life together. Jesus talks about the humility of a child in those first verses of chapter 18, Matthew 18. And then He turns His attention to to discussing um, issues about uh, committing offenses. And then, in fact, He ties them together. He talks about the humility of a child, and then He talks about offenses that are committed against uh, the the littlest the least of these look if you've lived any length of time you know that offenses are easy to stack up and keep count of but we're to do our best to have no part in creating offenses the bible says in romans 12 verse 18 if it is possible as much as it depends, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I take this to mean that it's, it's up to you to do everything that you can to not create an offense. In fact, Jesus said if, if you cause an offense or cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better off if you had a millstone hung around your neck and be tossed into the, in, into the ocean. He said, do your very best to live at peace with everyone. Don't create offenses. Forgive offenses. And here in Matthew 18, Jesus says in verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses. You and I live in a world where offenses are present, some that are, attack us, offenses that have come against us, and then there are times when there. as people have created offenses against others. He says, "Woe, woe to the world because of offenses. Such things must come, he says. What things? Offenses come, but woe to the person by whom the offense comes. So there's a couple woes. The first woe that I see there is a cry of pity for the world that is in danger of offenses. We live in a fallen world. It is inevitable that sin and hurt and offenses will come. And then there's another woe, and it simply is a warning to one who brings or introduces evil to others. Woe to that person by whom the offenses come. So, woe to a world that has fallen. And then, woe to a person who, who is busy creating offenses. The person who brings the offense is guilty before God, has no excuse. Now, watch this. Because they're also guilty before God and not just us, we learn that we, we can let go of anger and bitterness for what people have done to us. That's what we're learning today, because God has promised to deal with those with whom the offense comes. If God, listen, if God has promised to deal with those who offend His own, it also proves that He is defending and protecting His, His own children. Let me, let me say this to you in a way that I think sums it up, and as clearly as, as I can say. And by the way, the whole idea of the foolishness of preaching, anything I say today in, in the flesh, you forget it. Anything I say to you by the Spirit, you ought to save that. The foolishness of preaching. It is an amazing thing to me to think that a story recorded by a, a disciple <laughs> uh, under the inspiration of, 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 of God's Holy Spirit, He's recording a story that Jesus told. He, we're going to look at another parable. A story that Jesus told is going to have impact in our life today. It, it, it is an amazing truth. It's the power of, of God's Holy Word. And through the, the, the foolishness of preaching, <laughs> that somehow. God wants to share something with you today from His Word that it's not an accident that you're here, that it is an on-purpose situation. Um, And watch this. Those who are in Christ, we know that in Christ, we're talking about forgiving offenses, offenses that have been committed to us, forgiving offenses. We know that in Jesus Christ, no other person can wreck our life. Can I just say that to you this morning, and let that sink over whatever situation you may be facing. In Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, no other person can wreck your life. Even if they bring offense into your life, God will deal with them. He he will not forsake you. Uh, He he will not forsake us in time or eternity. In fact, I love this. 1 Peter chapter 5 simply says this. He says, and the God of all grace... (laughs) The God of all grace, who called you. By the way, aren't you glad you don't serve a God who was fashioned out of stone by somebody's imagination? I mean a piece of wood. Again, it just blows my mind that people will take a piece of wood and they'll carve some kind of a graven image and they'll bow down to it, worship it, and the other end of the pole they'll cut up and use it to cook their food on. Just stupid. Just stupid. Right? I mean, think about it. And the God of all grace... The, the creator God, the sustainer God, <laughs> the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after, watch this, you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, no other person can wreck your life. Now, if, and if you can, at the end of this message, if you know if you understand everything completely you're going to be the next person up to preach because if you can figure figure it out if you can i can't quite wrap my head around it maybe you can but here's the truth in the sovereign will of god he has so ordered in the wisdom of his providence that he will not restrain the lusts of the hearts of all people. And as a result, some people choose to walk in their own ways, and they create great offenses, offenses against others, and ultimately an offense against God. There are times where I wish God would just say, enough of that. There's a day coming when that's going to be true. But in this dispensation of grace, we, we we have God's grace and His power and His strength to live in an already not yet kind of uh, situation where we can walk in faith with God. Um, th- there's there's a day coming when when the justice of God will rule the day, and we won't fight the the sin and the evil and the offenses. But until I don't understand, uh, this is what I can't quite write my, wrap my head around: is 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 somehow in the sovereign will of God, and 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 in the in, in the wisdom of the order of His providence that he has not there are times where he does not stop in, step in and stop some kind of an offense that comes at you and comes at me. Keeping score. what we think others owe us. Matthew chapter 18. Our, our text is, starts at 21 and we're still in verse six. All right. Do you see how serious Jesus was about the little ones? Let me just not being harmed. Our Father in heaven is not willing that they perish. And he will punish anyone who cause offense to the little ones in this world. Jesus says, you need to sacrifice to avoid sinning against the little ones. Sacrifice whatever it takes to avoid causing offense to them. Sacrifice, this whole idea of the idea of sacrifice is, is do whatever it takes. Make the commitment and do whatever it takes in fighting against sin. It is better to sacrifice in the battle against sin now than to face the punishment of God for eternity. So look at the examples. Here's what he says. If your foot causes you to stumble, um, you know, your hand or your foot causes you to stumble somehow, then cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. Now, you say, well, is is this a literal instruction? Is, is, is Jesus saying, listen, maim, maim your body? No, it conveys an attitude. The problem is that even bodily mutilation does not go far enough in controlling sin. We need to be transformed from the inside out. It's not that you can, you can gouge out an eye or a hand or a foot and somehow keep you from sinning. We need to be transformed from the inside out. Here, here's, here's what I mean. I can cut off my right hand and I can still sin with my left. I could gouge out my right eye and still uh, sin with my, with my left. And if I have no hands left and no feet left, I can still sin in my mind and my heart. So what is God calling for? It's, it's a more radical transformation than any sort of physical change. It's a spiritual change. So if someone ever tells you to come follow Jesus, and indeed, you don't change yourself to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus just, I love that old song, um, Billy Graham crusade made it, made it popular. Just as I am, I come. Okay. We don't get ourselves cleaned up and come to Jesus. No way to make that happen. So we come to Jesus. He cleans us up. All right. He's, he, um, he, he, he's the one that, that, that changes us, but it's not just a, it's, it's a, if if anyone looks at you and says, listen, it's easy. There's nothing else. Um, You know, following Christ is an easy road. I'm going to remind you that it's a narrow path. Again, it's better to be on a narrow path to heaven than it is on a wide path to destruction. And, and to sacrifice whatever it takes in your life to avoid sin, to avoid causing offense. Um, and, and, and indeed, God, God is with us. So let me make another observation here. Verses 10 through 14. The story demonstrates the value that God places on individuals. Jesus exhorts us to reflect that same kind of care. Don't cause offense. The parable of the wandering sheep is similar to another parable you've heard, the the lost sheep. Uh, Luke records a parable of the lost sheep. They're similar. The evidence suggests they're similar parables, both taught by Jesus, but there's a different aim. Here Jesus emphasizes the love and the care that we should have for everyone in the Christian community. You see, there's a temptation, I think, to neglect a person because it's just one person. So he said, I've got 99 and one wanders off. So it's just one person. And he goes, no, people matter. One person matters. Or sometimes we neglect a person because we assume that that person is insignificant. Let me say to you, invocably, any, any any, without question, there are no insignificant people. There are no insignificant people. And then here's one more thing. To neglect a person because they've gone astray. So, well, maybe, maybe they were a part of the family of God, but somehow we're not walking close to the Lord, and so they've gone astray, and so we neglect them. Um, no, people matter. And do you see the love of God for sinners? God loves sinners, those who are lost, those who have gone astray. He, he loves sinners. Good thing. Good thing, because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even while we were sinners, God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. I was thinking about this last night, and I, and I had a vision of, of God sending His Son, God sending His Son, Jesus, to pay the price of sin. When you're a father... That just kind of burrows into your heart a little bit, and and I had I had this I had this vision of, of of my own son being punished, and I thought to myself. For for something he had not done, he was being punished, and in fact, in the, in my mind the the. the the vision or dream, I, I think I'm an old man now, so I think it's a dream. Young men have visions, old men have dreams. The understanding, I've been reading about this, the love of God, the Father. What father wouldn't stand interested in, His His punishment was 10 lashes. He was going to get whipped 10 times. And in my mind, I could not stand to see that. Could not stand to see that and and I saw Jesus then their father um, the father allowed his son to be bruised and beaten for us um, what what may have started as a dream or vision woke me up in a cold sweat in awe of who God is he loves people He loves people you know what that means we need to love the drunkards a little bit more even while they're still drunk even they're still passing the cup around you need to love them You need to care for the people who are swearing using the Lord's name in vain even while they're still their mouths are bad you need to care for we need to care for those who are confused with gender even in their confusion We need to love drunkards and swearers and gays. The Bible's most quoted and maybe most under-practiced passage is what comes next in chapter 18. Verses 15 to 20, dealing with sin among believers, talking to the one who caused the offense. People quote this all the time, but very seldom do people practice it. Oh, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. If I had a nickel for every time people said they did Matthew 18 but didn't actually do it um, I'd have a few nickels (laughs) talking to the one who caused offense you notice that Jesus did not say that your brother must agree with you or immediately repent before you read your Bible (laughs) oh Matthew 18 I went to him I asked him he immediately repented that's not what it says what it says at first it is enough if they listen to you if they hear you so, oh man, I, I want repentance, I want hugs, kisses, let's, you know, we'll start a business together. No. If you get to the point of them listening to you, if they've heard you, there's your first step. If you're unsuccessful, take a friend with you to talk to the one who caused an offense. If it's unsuccessful, take it to the church and talk to the one who, who, who you know, uh, again, caused the offense. If, if unsuccessful, then spiritual discipline may be in order. So now, so now let's get to the text of the day. Another parable, a lesson in story form. Parables, short stories that have moral truths. And is, as is the case in many of Jesus' parables, the listener puts their defenses down, gets caught up in the story, and as the story unfolds, and by that time it's too late, the listener realizes the stories about them, their heart and their, their mind have been, have been revealed. I want you to listen to the story. It reveals things about the listeners that that talk about keeping score and people who are thinking about what others owe them. Matthew 18, notice verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Remember, he's in the context of, of offenses and offenses that have happened, causing someone to stumble, um, that wandering sheep, and, and then dealing with sin in the church, and that whole context. So, Jesus, um, how many times, how many times should, should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, up to seven times? And Peter's feeling pretty good, because the rabbis of the day, they, they discussed this at some detail, and they decided that if, if that happened, and you, and you forgave someone three times, that that was, that was sufficient, that was plenty. And so Peter doubles it, plus adds one. Seven times? So Lord, um, we're talking about offenses um, up to seven times? And he's kind of thinking, like, pretty generous. Uh, there's, there's this pause. This is a strange pause. And Jesus looks at him, they connect eyes, and then he goes on and he says this. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but but 77 times. Some scriptures say seven times 70 times, 490 times. Again, there's a long pause. Jesus lets that just kind of reverberate in their ears and their hearts. And then verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven. Peter's just poof, brain blown. What? What is he talking about? kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus tells the story. He began to settlement with a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. Those are, I mean, is is Matthew stuttering here? (laughs) You see those words? Be patient with me, be patient with me. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servants in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. How many times should I forgive? Peter hoped to to be extremely loving, forgiving a repentant brother up to seven times, generous up to 77 times or 70 times seven. Jesus answered, that was unexpected. He was saying we're to forgive the, the repentant an unlimited number of times. Unlimited is surely the idea behind the 70 Times seven. It would be strange to expect Jesus to to keep score. Like, okay, listen, buddy, I've forgiven you, and we're in the 480s right now. You know, 89, 90. All right, 491, no more forgiveness for you. That would just be absurd. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying keep score. The man asked for patience. What he really needed was forgiveness. He needed a pardon, he needed the king to cancel the debt. The servant says, hey, give me some time to pay it back. Look, there was no way. If he'd worked all his, his life, day and night, for the rest of his life, he could never pay it back. A thousand talents or a thousand bags of gold. Commentators have, have, have studied that out. What, what is that amount? I mean, it, there's, a, there's a large uh, uh, variance in, in the amount that really is in, in today's world, but you know, commentators, I've seen everything from saying, well, that was around $12 million to a billion dollars. I mean, there are not a lot of us that could whip out twelve billion million or million or, dollars or a couple million dollars to, to pay a debt. It was a large sum of money. There was no way. He didn't need patience. He needed, he needed the master to forgive that debt. There was no way. There, there was no time that he was going to be able to work to make that up. King sees the debt, he realizes the servant could never pay it back, so he canceled the debt, he let the servant go. The the king of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave the debt, he showed mercy, despite the false promises. Hey, give me some time and I'll pay you back. But what happened next is shocking. As Jesus tells the story, it's shocking when we hear it in the story and we see it, because the one servant was forgiven 12 billion, a million dollars, 12 million or a billion dollars, whatever it is, the number's so big, so many zeros, who cares? And then he has someone who owes him several hundred dollars, and he goes after him. He did a shakedown of a servant who owed him a little. You say, Well, that's just shocking. That just can't be. Do you know that it's not shocking because that happens all the time in our world? where we have been forgiven a debt that we could not pay, but we refuse to forgive others uh, an offense that they have committed against us. One of his servants owed him 100 denarii. It was a real debt. It was a real debt, not denying the fact that he owed him. But it was an insignificant amount Compared only a fraction of the debt owed to the master by the first servant. So watch this: the debt was small, but the payment was the demand for payment was large. Stop long enough just to see that point. Our claims against others are likely to be pressed upon them with great um, emphasis. We're in the story. Do I find there's there's no there's no place where the first servant had a guilty conscience for doing what he did. It was his fellow servants that saw what happened, and they became angry, and they told the king, and he became angry. You know, sometimes we are blind to our own sinful and fleshly conduct. The king, the master, was angry. He gave the servant what he deserved. He, he got justice instead of mercy. Now, I want you to see the gospel in this passage. No one can possibly um, offend us to the point that my sins have offended God. You you know that in this story, the master, the king, is God. And we are that first servant. And indeed, there are offenses that have been committed against us. But the debt we owe to Christ, we could not pay. It doesn't matter how much time. It doesn't matter how much you worked. You could not pay the debt that Christ paid and, and, and has pardoned you for. And notice, there's a there's a a sense here at the end of this chapter. Um, the master ends up calling the servant in, and he he gives him justice instead of mercy and grace. And and indeed, he turns him over to be tortured until he can pay back all he owed. It's how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There's this there's a strong warning about understanding. Uh, uh, the, the fact that we will know that God has forgiven us and that we need to extend that to others. The vertical issue of forgiveness in this passage. I want you to notice, though, there's a horizontal aspect of this, this passage, and I want to talk about that in these, just these few minutes I have left. Jesus taught an important, often neglected principle regarding forgiveness. There, there are often, there, there could be Sincere Christians who withhold forgiveness from others for all kinds of reasons, and they feel entirely justified in doing so. By the way, Johns Hopkins Medicine did a study on this, wrote an article on forgiveness, and the fact that it has a huge impact on your health. Here's what it says. Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news is studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress, and research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection even as you age. It's even more important the older you are. And yet people sometimes choose not to forgive. Their reasoning works like this. I read an article this past week um, where the author was talking about objections against forgiveness. Basically, I'm going to build a case against, forgive, against forgiving others. Here's the reasons why people don't forgive. And maybe, is it justified? He, he was building this case. Here were some of the objections about, against forgiveness. One, forgiveness denies the seriousness of sin. Some people think that forgiveness means the offense committed against me wasn't that serious, so I'm going to keep track, I'm going to keep score of it. Or what was done didn't really matter. Indeed, we can't make a federal case out of everything, but there's some that will say, well, if, if I forgive that person, it will deny the seriousness of their sin. You can't make a federal case out of everything. Paper cuts hurt, but they don't require surgery. Open gashes need medical attention major offenses can't be overlooked. And so people say, well, listen, why would I forgive them? Because it's going to simply d- deny the seriousness of the sin. Um, look, God does not trivialize our pain. He doesn't trivialize our sin either. When God forgives, He doesn't, he doesn't overlook our sin. He, His, he, when He forgives us, His, the blood of Christ atones for our sin. His holiness doesn't even consider, uh, doesn't ever consider sin inconsequential. It demands payment. And that looks like the agony of, of Calvary. If God doesn't overlook sin, why would you think God would want us to overlook the serious offenses that have been done to us? But some people say, well, I can't forgive because it will deny the seriousness of sin. Here's another reason why people don't forgive. It lets people off the hook too easily, we think. One of the hindrances to forgiveness is the fear of further offenses. If if I forgive this person, it's going to give them permission to, to offend me again. Peter's asking, well, how many times do you expect me to forgive the same serious offense? Forgiveness lets people off the hook too easily. Here's another objection. Forgiveness puts too much responsibility on the one who's offended. Asking a, a victim to let go of their pain and deny their desire for justice is too much to put on a person. It's like telling a person who's mangled, you know, in a car wreck, laying in the middle of the street, walk by and say, hey, take care of yourself, buddy. Isn't that like asking someone to do the impossible thing? It puts too much responsibility. Forgiveness. It puts too much responsibility on the person who's offended. Matthew says it this way: You've heard what is said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That is not easy. And anyone who wants to sue you, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Anyone wants forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard what is said love your enemies, hate your, love your neighbor, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward you get? Not even the tax collectors, they're, they're doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? For even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, be holy, therefore, as your heavenly father is holy, perfect, is it reasonable for God to expect to do, us to do this? I don't know if you've ever had anybody slap you on on your right cheek. You ever have anybody slap you on your left? I know that there's a situation where I've been in those situations. Um, it's like, okay, <laughs> you got me once. And now you got me again. I mean, there, there are times, you know, I read Scripture, so listen, I need, I need to tell you, um, the Bible tells you what to do. Someone strikes you on one cheek. And, and is, it, is it too much responsibility to put on the offended person? Because if someone strikes you on one cheek, you offer them the other. There have been times, there's been a time, where I had to look at somebody and say, you hit my right cheek, you hit my left cheek, the Bible's a lot less clear about what happens next. <laughs> and say so you're supposed to be a punching bag, you're not. No way, no how. That's not what this passage is saying. It's talking about forgiving offenses. People say, well... Another objection is it's, un, it's not fair. Sometimes we just come out and say it's not fair. The bottom line argument is simply that. It's not fair. Maybe one more thing. Forgiveness is only for someone who is properly repentant. might even argue that because repentance is mentioned in the context of our forgiveness to others. It, it, you know it, it's, it should be modeled after God's forgiveness of us. And since God doesn't forgive us apart from repentance, why, why would we forgive others unless they properly repent, repent to us? So in other words, say, listen, the, God's mercy and his grace to you. He said, you know, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to get God's grace? Repent. <laughs> repent simply means to, to turn and go the other direction. Listen, I, I agree with you, God. I'm wrong. I need to turn and go this other way. Re, you know, repent, Scripture says. And, and then we receive God's forgiveness. So we say, well, listen. Um, they haven't repented so I don't have to forgive well let me just simply say I think that's an ultimately dangerous position to take and I think this parable also shows us why it's incorrect for us to think that God doesn't forgive me without my repentance therefore I'm gonna withhold forgiveness from others who sin against me until they properly repent I think that's wrong And here's why, because I don't stand in the same place as God in this equation, and I never can. God alone stands as the one who has never been forgiven and has never needed forgiveness. I stand as one who has been forgiven and needs continual forgiveness. Big difference. If it were possible, we should be far quicker to forgive than God without precondition of repentance because we stand as forgiven sinners who must also forgive. The man in this story was forgiven much. He should have had an understanding when he came to another servant who owed him a little. He should have had a greater understanding. I, I have been forgiven. I understand what that is. To, to, to have a debt I could not pay, and I was forgiven that debt. And then to turn around and not forgive someone else. Um, we've been forgiven so much, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from others. So, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not denying the reality of your pain. Forgiveness is not letting the offender off the hook. There are sometimes in an offense, even after repentance, that an offender still has to pay the price of their offense. Forgiveness is not blaming the victim, it's none of the above. Then, what is it? It's a word. The word Greek word that we translate, forgive, carries the idea of release from some type of obligation. It's, it's often used to, to talk about uh, in financial situations. The concept of forgiveness is like the rule of accounting. The books have to be balanced. And so the essence of forgiveness, when we acknowledge that a wrong has occurred, an offense has occurred, that there's an obligation for repayment, and we choose To release our offender from that obligation to know that the cost will never be repaid by them. Most of us have no trouble with the first two because we're expert record keepers. The stumbling block is this whole idea of forgiveness. Why should I have to suffer the consequences myself when there are many reasons why I shouldn't forgive my offender? Jesus answers to Peter's questions about forgiveness. Um, There were some objections and also some compelling reasons to forgive. We talked about some of the objections. I want to give you some opportunities of forgiveness. People have identified much in forgiveness. There's many reasons. Let me just identify four. Forgiveness is often the only way to settle a debt. Realistically, there's some things in our life that there is no alternative to forgiveness. What alternative did the king have? There was no way that man would ever pay. He could never pay that debt. He didn't have to release the slave, but would the slave's imprisonment have resulted in even any repayment of the debt? No, probably not. What advantage was there to, to demand that the slave would remain behind bars for the rest of his life and his whole family? The king was smart enough to realize that he was holding a debt that was uncollectible. Many people struggle with offering forgiveness because they're unaware that they're holding a worthless debt. They might mistakenly believe that there's some payment they can extract from their offender, but it won't compensate for their loss. By the way, what satisfactory payment could someone give you to compensate for a child that was killed by a drunk driver? What satisfactory payment could someone give to you to compensate for a reputation that was slattered, sl- slandered with a false accusation? What kind of satisfactory payment would it take to compensate for a marriage that has been destroyed by an infidelity?" What kind of satisfactory compensation would you receive for childhood innocence that was stolen away by some immoral relative? What satisfactory payment could someone give you to compensate for a stolen inheritance cheated away from you by some legal ruling? Gandhi observed this this whole idea of an eye for an eye. You see, I want want justice. I want want revenge. You know, an eye for an eye. Gandhi observed this. He said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, cannot sustain itself forever. Ultimately, both parties end up blind and toothless. (laughs) Suddenly, Jesus' command of turning the other cheek appears more reasonable. Forgiveness is sometimes the only way to break the endless cycle of hurt and unfairness. Here's another opportunity of forgiveness. It will free you up to get on with the rest of your life. The king was also smart enough to realize that he he had too many responsibilities to allow himself to be distracted by one slave's obligation. If he spent his entire life going back to check the books to see where he he was at with with the the score of this slave, he he wouldn't have been able to, to deal with the other stuff that was important for him to do. Why should he spend every waking moment going back to the bookkeeper and neglect the rest of his life? But often we hold on to an offense and we in fact become an emotional hostage to our offender. Buddy Hackett, comedian, once said this. He said, I've had a few arguments with people, but I never carry a grudge. You know why? Because while I'm carrying a grudge, they're out dancing somewhere. <laughs> Forgiveness frees us up to get on with our life. One of the best reasons forgiving someone is not what it does for them, but what it does for you. Letting go. Look, letting go of a rattlesnake might help the snake, but it also has some benefits for you, right? Forgiveness... Here's another thing. Forgiveness is an antidote to needless suffering. The laws of God decree that those who refuse to forgive enter their own private torture chamber, sentencing themselves to a lifetime of needless pain. It's an antidote to needless suffering. John MacArthur observed this. He said, Unforgiveness is a toxin. It poisons the heart and mind with bitterness, distorting one's perspective on life. Anger, resentment, and sorrow begin to overshadow and overwhelm the unforgiving person, a kind of soul pollution that inflames evil appetites and evil emotions. Nancy DeMoss Walgemuth said this, Unforgiveness is a burden that is too great for us to bear. We were not designed to carry the burden of unforgiveness. We'll break down. It'll flat wear you out. The Bible's term for unforgiveness is, of what happens is bitterness. It's a word that literally means sharp or pointed. Don't risk poisoning your life by holding on to a grievance. James Garfield. you know who James Garfield was? <laughs> presidential history, former president of the United States. He was president for less than four months when he was shot in the back with a revolver on July 2nd 1881 and he was conscience conscious and the doctor was was probing around with his little finger trying to detect the bullet and he went on to live for, for some time he clung through to life through July and August but in September he finally died not from the gunshot wound but from infection constantly being poked at opening the wound it wasn't the bullet that killed it. It was infection. Continually reliving hurts we've experienced infects not only your life, but the lives of those around us. One of the strongest arguments for forgiveness is the consequence of unforgiveness. It's an antidote to needless suffering. Frederick Bucher observed this. He said, Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you're given and the pain you're about to give back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that you're wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Finally, this one more thing. Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven the Bible teaches that there's an inseparable link between receiving and granting forgiveness Jesus parable teaches that our personal sin against God has produced an obligation we could never hope to pay but the King God forgave us anyway and Jesus' parable has stern words for us in our relationship with those who wrong us we may have every right to collect the debt they owe but we have a higher obligation to release them from that debt considering that we have been forgiven so much Why does it make so much sense when we read in the story and when it comes to our own personal lives, we struggle? While the pain that someone has inflicted on us is real, compared to the wrong we've committed against God, it reminds us that we, too, need to forgive. It's important to understand there's a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation true reconciliation can only happen when both parties are agreed to it but forgiveness can be one-sided forgiveness does not necessarily shield someone from civil or practical consequences we've already talked about that so what have we learned in these last couple of weeks I'm going to invite the team to come to lead us in our last song one one we learned that he owes us nothing we owe him everything we've also learned that he has forgiven us and we can forgive others he has forgiven us first and most and we forgive others too from what we think they owe us keeping score one of the things that has gripped my heart and grieved me more than anything else in pastoral ministry is to hear the stories of some dear brothers and sisters in Christ who have been hurt. Sometimes stories that if if I was an evil playwright, I couldn't think of stories that were any more hideous than the things that I have heard. I cannot carry those burdens. People say, How do you how do you deal with that? Well Cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. I could not carry that as a pastor. There's too much, too many. Frequency. And you would think, well, we've come along as a community. No. There's things that were done long ago. Some of those things, awful things are happening today. There's a difference. Last week I was in the grocery store looking for some canned goods, a certain item that I wanted, walked up and down. was so focused on that, walked around the corner and there was a lady standing there that um, she, she didn't see me standing behind and when she turned it scared her and, and I jumped and she jumped and. Um, she goes oh you scared me I said, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to scare you I'm, she goes you're so quiet that's usually not how I'm described you're so quiet and I apologized to her I said, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't mean to sneak up on you I just, I'm looking for my stuff we're in the bean aisle and, um, and I know the difference between that and some of the wounds that people carry And I wonder today, um, for your sake, who, who do you need to forgive? Who, are you keeping score? What offenses do you have that are keeping you to, from being all that God's called you to be? And I wonder, would um, you just bow your heads? I'm I'm sometimes concerned because come to church. It's not about how loud you sing or how, how you raise your hand or, uh, and grateful for all the expressions of praise and worship. But can you come in here and then go out and be the same person or does God want to move around the furniture in your, in your life? And I don't want you to miss this. I think, I think we become calloused when we hear God's word and we don't respond. And I wonder today if you have an opportunity you have this opportunity today i don't know when you'll have this opportunity again god in his mercy is gracious but i don't know how long it's been or what opportunity you have today to simply say in this story oh god you're the master and thank you for forgiveness maybe today you need to settle that issue you're to say god i have a debt that i cannot pay And I come to you right now and I ask you to forgive me. I need you to forgive my debt. I'm a sinner. I can't change the fact that I was born a sinner or I'm going to stay that way unless you do something. I have a debt I cannot pay. Only the blood of Jesus will pay that debt. I don't need time. I need forgiveness. And maybe today, this is your time for forgiveness. Maybe... You're that servant who also turns around and says, I I have an offense. There's people who have offended me. And Today, I I know God has forgiven me, and I need to forgive others. And I wonder today if you would just simply take advantage of that. You say, listen, God, I need that grace in my life. Do it now. You can change me now. You can change that situation now. You may not change the situation, but you're going to change me and I'm gonna issue forgiveness I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive I make that choice today and that by God's grace today he he moves something in you that frees you up to be all that you can be no longer is that gonna hold you back or hold you down so as we sing this song I know we normally stand at the end of a service I'm gonna ask you to sit Pastor Caleb will have a stand when he feels it's appropriate, but are you hurting, broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Then Jesus is calling you to the altar of forgiveness. He will forgive you. Leave your regrets and mistakes behind. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling you to the altar of forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Bring your sorrows, the offenses that others have committed to you. Trade them for joy. From ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling you to his altar of forgiveness. Oh, come to the altar. His arms are open wide. He will forgive. He will give you grace to forgive others. Right where you're at. As you sing this song, these words wash over your heart, your soul, your life, your circumstance. Receive forgiveness, full and free. Go come to the altar. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.